me for the reading of God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So we are talking this morning uh, in... Uh, Philippians chapter 4. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to, to there. Um, so, okay, so we're talking about prayer. We're talking about joy. We're talking about anxiety. Um, and that's what we're going to be looking at in, in this particular chapter. And so uh, kind of a starting question is, how many of us would say that like fear and anxiety have kind of like marked different moments of our life, right? I mean, we're not alone, right? Like we've, we've all been marked by, have seasons of our life where that are marked by fear and anxiety and, and worry. Um, you guys know what anxiety is? It's like when you have this overwhelming sense of worry or unease because of like some, some looming event, right? Some unknown factor and you just stress out about it. You just freak out. And, and, and some of you are hearing this and you're like, like, yeah, I know what that's like. And that's because like, what are the sort of like big things that, 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 that cause us to worry? That cause us anxiety uh, that all of us deal with, like busyness, right? When you can't feel like you can't keep up, when your, your email list is just like 100 deep, right? You can't keep up, work, school, you feel like you're in over your head. Money problems, right? Too little money, you got problems. More money, more problems, right? People problems, some of you are like, yeah, I can relate to that right now. Relational, family stuff, like things that cause us stress and anxiety. Uh, we all know what anxiety feels like. Like all of us, so it seems like a lot of us in this room, along with like 40 million other people in America, business blogs are publishing articles left and right on how to deal with anxiety. Mommy bloggers are Instagramming and Snapchatting about it. Here's how I deal with my stressful days. Uh, just last week, actress uh, Emma Stone, she was on the, the Stephen Colbert show uh, talking about how she's like battled this intense uh, bout with anxiety order since she was like seven years old and still to this day. If you look on Amazon, like their, their list of like top health books, like general physical health, like up at the top of that list are a handful of books on mental health as it pertains specifically to this topic to worry and to anxiety. And so like everyone talks about it because everyone's dealing with it. Everyone's dealing with it. And the reason that anxiety has such this, this sweepingly widely, this sweepingly and like wide uh, uh, experience, it's such a widely experienced issue is that we're all broken people. We're broken people that are living and breathing in a broken world. We're broken people living in a fallen and sinful and cursed world. And so anxiety and fear and panic and stress and concern, like that's something that we're all familiar with. We're we're surrounded by it. And the good news is that God, 
God, in his great love for his people, has given us his timeless and perfect word that speaks again and again into this issue. And because it is timeless, it has no limits, like it addresses timeless human issues and needs that we've struggled with for centuries, issues like anxiety. This is not new, right? This is not a new issue. And so what we get to do this morning, like we do every morning, is we get to open the Word of God and consider what does God say? What does God say? And see how God wants us to respond, how He wants us to think, how He wants us to feel, how He wants us to respond rather than react to anxiety. And so we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4. Now, background, like Paul, who's writing this book, he tells us what to do when life hits hard and when we're anxious in chapter 4, in Philippians chapter 4. A little background on Paul, if you don't know who he is, uh, he's a man who was well acquainted with worry. He's a man who was well acquainted with anxiety. He had a pretty rough go at life. As a matter of fact, around the time that he was writing this letter to the church in Philippi, he had been shipwrecked, he had been beaten, he'd been homeless, left for dead on the open sea. And at this point in the story, he actually finds himself in prison, facing the possibility of getting beheaded the next day. You could say, like, that's, that's not a good day, right, that he's having when he's writing this. His life was just a little complicated at this moment. And it's there from prison with the possibility of death around the corner that, that he, he writes this. It was there from prison that he writes to his friends at this church in Philippi with this plea on how to deal with stressful and anxious situations. He writes to them, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And the man, Paul, who wrote those words, he knew more about pain and suffering than a lot of us combined. Like, he wasn't naive. This dude wasn't naive. He wasn't unacquainted with worry. He wasn't unacquainted with grief or the kind of pain and heartache or uncertainty that many of us feel day to day and week to week. Yet here, we see Paul lying in a prison cell, penning this letter to his friends in this church. And at this point in the letter, he tells them how to overcome the anxieties of life. And he offers them three commands. In light of the gospel, he says, do these three things. Now, when a lot of times, it's important for us to, to know that when we see commands in the New Testament, that it's not, hey, if you do these things, then like, if you do these things, then like Jesus will fix you. It's like as Christians, as in light of the gospel, it's like because Jesus has already saved us, because we already know him, now we get to do these things. Now we're free to do these things. And so the three commands that, that uh, Paul gives us in this text are to be joyful, to be reasonable, and of course to be prayerful. So let's look at that first one. Be joyful. Verse 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And some of us are like, really? Like, did you say rejoice always? Like, That kind of sounds like a lot, right? That sounds like a lot of rejoicing. Does Paul really understand how difficult that is to rejoice always? Is he so out of touch with the harsh realities of life? 
And Paul almost like anticipates that we would ask that question. And so he says, again, I will say rejoice. Like he knew you'd ask, so he said it again. He says it twice. Like, this must be important. This must be important. Tell me, where else do you see a command in the scriptures where he says, hey, do this. Now I'm going to say it again. Do this, right? Where else do we see that? Where he says, hey, you know, I want you to do this. Now, just to make sure that you get that point, I'm going to tell you again to, to, to do it. But yet that's what Paul does, this, does here. This is the only place that he does this. This is the only place that any other New Testament writer does this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, that's kind of a funny command, right? Like, how can you just choose to rejoice? Like every single time before, like I've got, I've got a three-year-old, and so before we, we leave the house, I try to tell her, like, hey, you, you need to use the bathroom, right? And she's like, a lot of times she's like, I can't. There's, there's, there's nothing in there, right? Like I can't, I can't go. And yet, yet Paul seems to give a similar command to us, right? Like rejoice in the Lord always. And some of us are like, how can you just choose to rejoice, Yet here, actually, in the beginning of this verse, we actually find the key to how we can rejoice always. We find the key to rejoicing always, even when we're feeling just worried and anxious about life. And the key is to start with Jesus. To start with Jesus. You see, for the Christian, it's always about Jesus. And here's where Paul says that. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, who's the Lord? Jesus is Lord. And so once we put it like that, rejoice in the Lord always, it starts to make sense to us. You're like, hey, you know, as a follower of Jesus, this is a pretty cool command. Rejoice in the Lord always. Like if you're a Christian, if you're so in love with Jesus, do you so enjoy your relationship with him, the fact that you're found in him, that you're united with him, that you have a joy in him that cannot be shaken? Like, is that true of you this morning? You see, that's what it means to rejoice in the Lord. It's not rejoice in your circumstances, but yet that's what, how a lot of us tend to live. Our joy is dependent on how great our circumstances are at the moment. What happens is this. When we face these anxious circumstances, things that cause us to worry, then we often react to them emotionally rather than respond to them in, in, in faith. We react to them emotionally rather than respond to them in faith. Like how many of you guys have found yourself in a situation where because of like some bad day you were having, like you, you maybe said something that you didn't mean? Maybe you used like this biting word or, or a harsh tone because of some bad day you were having? Like how many of us have done that? And that's what happens when we actually react emotionally, anxiously to our circumstances rather than respond in, in faith. And so we've made this point before, but I think it's worth drilling down here again. Like, like you and I were never promised favorable circumstances. We're not promised favorable circumstances. God never promised an easy road. He never promised favorable circumstances. What he did promise is that through Jesus, we could actually have favor from God in the midst of our circumstances. That's the promise. You see, the command is to rejoice in spite 
spite of your circumstances and because of Jesus. You see, rejoicing the Lord always is not about losing touch with reality. It's actually about having a better grasp of reality. Because we take our eyes off ourselves. We take our eyes off our circumstances. We take our eyes off of what's around us horizontally, and we fix them vertically on who is God and who's in charge, that Jesus is Lord. You see, you can respond one of two ways when circumstances are hard. We tend to respond one of two ways. Like you can either re- react in this joyless anxiety or you can respond in joyful faith. We can react in joyless anxiety or you can respond in joyful faith. Now, some of you might say, well, like I'm only anxious because, you know, these circumstances are just overwhelming me. If you only understood, like the only reason I'm worrying is because these circumstances I'm dealing with are just so overwhelming. And, and to that, I'd say like, great. So how's that working? Right? Does that work? Does your worrying actually help your situation? Does it make you grow in faith when you turn to anxiety? Does it make you grow to be more like Jesus? Are you helping others grow in Jesus by the way that you respond? You see, when, when, when Paul tells us in this text to rejoice in the Lord always, he does so with the heart of, as, as a friend, with the heart of a pastor knowing he's writing to this church that he loves. And he writes with the heart of a pastor knowing that, look, when you, when you live your life reacting, living in anxiety, then like, that's, a, that's a miserable life. That is a suffering life. It hurts you mentally. It hurts you emotionally. It hurts you relationally with other people. And that's why the Holy Spirit of God, writing through the Apostle Paul, wants us to rejoice in the Lord always. He wants us to have our joy anchored in the Lord Jesus, not in our changing circumstances. Circumstances change, but Jesus doesn't. And that's why we anchor our joy in him. And so it's important for us to note, like at this point, like like this doesn't mean that we rejoice in our circumstances because of Jesus. No, we rejoice in the Lord in the midst of our circumstances. So we don't rejoice in our circumstances. So when we've been like sinned against, right? If we've been abused or if when when we're in deep pain over some loss, maybe the loss of a loved one, or maybe you find out that like you, or someone that you deeply care about is, is, is sick or terminally ill, like, you can and should mourn that. That's That would be a good thing to mourn about. Like, Paul's not saying rejoice in your circumstances. He's saying rejoice in the Lord in the midst of your circumstances. <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord in spite of those circumstances. Rejoice in the fact that God is with you in your pain. That he's with you in that loss. Rejoice that he's revealing more of Jesus to you in, in the middle of the mess. There's this famous old adage I tried like so long to figure out where it came from, but I couldn't. So we're just going to say unknown. Um, but there's this famous old adage that says, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. Can't live one second without hope. How many of us can resonate with a statement like that? Right? Like hope is what gets us through the next minute. 
You see, rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing in Jesus, what it does, it actually cultivates and it nurtures in us this posture of hopefulness. We get to see beyond our circumstances to, uh, to what transcends those tr- circumstances. We get to see beyond what's in front of us, and we get a glimpse of the kingdom beyond that, the kingdom around us. You see, God is, what, what, what we're saying when we rejoice in the Lord always, when we have this posture of, of hopefulness, is we recognize that God, even though like this, these circumstances around us kind of stink right now, we can say, God, even though this stinks, like you're good. I see hope on the end of this. You're still good. You're still at work. You're great. You're teaching me. You're caring for me. You're showing me more of the truth and the goodness and the beauty of Jesus through this circumstance. See, the Bible says that our, our afflictions are light and momentary. When we deal with afflictions, like we tend to think, like, man, this is heavy. This is deep. This is overwhelming. This is all-encompassing. This is going to last forever. When is this ever going to end? But the scriptures say, no, our, our, our afflictions are light and momentary, but Jesus, he is our eternal joy. He's our eternal joy. He's the Lord yesterday, today, forever. And so when we rejoice, like we can rejoice in him always because he never changes. He's Lord today. He's Lord tomorrow. He's Lord for eternity. And so that's Paul's first command for us. He says, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. The second command he offers us is to be reasonable. Look at verse five with me. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, I know some of your Bibles are probably might say, like, use the word gentleness here, and others say graciousness or, or moderation. And the reason that there's such a wide like, variety of ways to translate this word is because, like, that actual Greek word, epikaes, is this fascinating word that is hard to translate in English, but in its literal sense, it means you do what is appropriate for the moment. You do whatever is reasonable, whatever is appropriate for the moment. So, see, on the other hand, when we react emotionally rather than respond in faith, then when we're anxious and when we're stressed out, then we have this tendency to be actually unreasonable, to act in ways that are not appropriate for the moment. The other day, I was uh, um, walking, uh, walking the kids uh, uh, around the lake from my house, uh, right, right down the street from here. And um, I was crossing the street, crossing a crosswalk. And, um, and I see this like old woman was crossing the street on the other side. And then some dude in like this, this big truck just ran a red light. He slammed his brakes. He honked his horn and almost like brought this old woman like straight to Jesus. Like, like it was like the scary situation. I'm watching this whole thing. Like my heart's pounding. You can see this woman's like shaking. She's all scared. And then the guy in the truck, like he continues to honk his horn to tell her to move and get out of the way. He actually rolls down his window and starts yelling at this old woman to get out of the way, and then he drives away. Like, just so you know, that's not reasonable, right? Like, that's not appropriate. That's not a reasonable way to respond to the moment that he found himself in. You see, 
But Paul says when, when, when you're stressed, when you're having this off day, like the tendency is to respond unreasonably as though everything is all about you. All about how you interpret this situation. Paul says when you're stressed, when you're having an off day, this is why you need to be reasonable. You need to be able to reason clearly. In other words, don't live as if the life that you're living is all about you because it's not. That is not a reasonable perspective. That is not an appropriate perspective. When you're dealt those cards that you didn't want or when life throws this curveball at you, you don't respond in some outrageous and inappropriate way. Instead of seeking joy in your idealism, like your idea of like the ideal life, your best life, instead of seeking joy in that picture or in the way that you think things should be, like you're rejoicing in the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that like we don't, that we don't have dreams. It doesn't mean that we don't aspire to get out of hard situations. It doesn't mean that we're not motivated to work hard when, 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 when life hits us hard. But what it does mean is that we're not devastated by our circumstances. Like our life, our value, our identity, our hope and our joy should not be defined by what's happening around us. You rejoice in the Lord so much that you respond reasonably and appropriately to the world around you. John Newton, he was this uh, preacher that, that, that wrote the uh, hymn, Amazing Grace. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. Um, he's got this great little quote where he says, If you understand the grace of God, then it makes the worst times bearable, and it makes the best times leavable. If you understand the grace of God... It actually makes the worst times bearable, and it'll make the best times leavable. In other words, what he's saying is, look, if you truly understand God's grace, if you truly understand that you were so far from God, yet Jesus stepped into your mess, that he stepped into our dirt so that he could reunite us with God, so that he could restore us and renew us and change us and transform us. If you so understand the beauty of God's grace, then the worst times that you have will become all the more bearable. But even the best times that you have will become leavable. Your most difficult days will become endurable, and even your best days on earth won't compare to your future days in heaven. See, that means as a Christian, like when you're frustrated, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, then when you're frustrated, like this means that it doesn't change your sturdy foundation. Your circumstances don't change your sturdy foundation. Like you can be, you can be sad, but you haven't lost your hope. When you experience heartbreaking loss, you can mourn about it, but like that's not your main thing. And when good things happen to us, you don't get, you don't, even when good things happen to us, you don't get too proud, you don't get too puffed up because you know that that's not your main thing either. You see, that is a reasonable state of mind. There's a story in a couple of the Gospels where Jesus is, is, um, 
he's, he's walking around with his disciples. He's teaching them how to teach the way that he does and, and how to perform miracles in his name. And then one day, like a group of the disciples, they just kind of go off uh, for a day and they come back at the end of it and they're just like stoked beyond belief. They're like talking about like all these demons that they cast out and they're talking to Jesus about it. And they're like, Jesus, like, didn't you, like, you should have been there. Like we, we did this, we did that. And, 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 and Jesus kind of takes their excitement and he says, basically like, hey, you know what, that's great and everything, but, and it's, 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 you should rejoice in that, but at the same time, like, you should rejoice, your, your, your true joy shouldn't be found in the fact that you perform these miracles, but your true joy should be found, Jesus says, in the fact that, like, your names are in the book of life. Jesus is saying, you should rejoice in the fact that I'm yours, and that you're mine. Like, let that be your true joy. Because he says, you know, like, there's going to be some days where your circumstances and the ministry that you're doing, like, is not going to meet your expectations. And there are other times where it will be so much better than what you expected. But Jesus is pointing out, look, like, your true joy, your sense of life, purpose, and meaning isn't found in what you do or in how life responds to what you do. But it's found in the fact that you belong to me, Jesus says, and I belong to you. Notice that Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Like, is, is, is that you this morning? Like, do you know, do people know you as somebody who responds reasonably to a bad day? Are you, do people know you as somebody who responds appropriately to stressful situations? Like, what do you want to be known for? What is it that you want to be known for? Is it your looks, your personality, your wealth, your wits, your wisdom, your, maybe your, your leadership, right? Like the way that you lead, the way that you serve, maybe your ministry here in the church, But Paul's recommendation is he says, no, be known for your reasonableness. Let that be your reputation, that you respond reasonably to life's situations. Part of our vision here as a a, a church community is that we want to, to build and multiply like thriving communities of disciples, thriving communities of followers of Jesus that live unapologetically for the glory of God, and also for the good of our neighbors. We want to live for God's glory, but also for the good of our neighbors. And one of the ways that we do that is by living in a way that that gives that, that, that shows that our hope is found not in this world, that our hope is found not in our circumstances, but in something and someone that transcends that. Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then he says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. That's another way of saying that the Lord is near. He's close. He's involved. He's concerned about your relationships with others and about your witness to the world. I remember like at our, at our old church, we had this, um, like years ago, where there, where there was this, uh, we had this bookstore that um, people would congregate outside of often. And um, I was walking through that bookstore, and there's another room on the other end. And as I'm walking through the bookstore and to the other room, um, I can hear, like, this couple I know, like, arguing 
um, on the other side of it. And I'm like, oh, this is awkward, right? Like we're at church, service just ended. I'm walking from this room to the next and like this couple's like arguing. And, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to listen to this. So I, I, you know, I picked up a book. I kind of tried to try to buy myself some time. And then uh, I couldn't help overhear this conversation in the other room. And I realized like, man, I know these people, right? Like these guys are my friends. Like this is so awkward. Like I'm hearing them just going at each other. Uh, I'm like, I really need to get into that room though. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of wait here. Uh, wait, wait for, wait for this thing to sort of dissipate, to kind of dissolve. And then maybe I'll open that door. And so, um, and so I did that. Uh, I waited for like a, a, a pause uh, in there. Uh, shouting and everything. Uh, and, and when there was a long enough pause, I was like, all right, now's my time. So I open the door, I go into that room, and all of a sudden, like, these two people just look at me like deers, like with their faces, like, like a deer in headlights. And they're like, oh, hey, Chris. Like, they're all, like, they're all chummy. They're all excited. They're like, hey, how's it going? Uh, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, like, I'm just grabbing this thing. And so I, I, I came in there, I did my business, and then I, and then I took off. Uh, and it just kind of stuck out in my mind. I'm like, man, that's so funny. Like, these people were just uh, fine. They were like, at each other and then all of a sudden I walk into the room and then like they're cool with each other they're cool with me um we're all laughing we're all smiling um and this is kind of the idea that Paul's getting at when he says look let your reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand he's saying look what would happen what would happen if Jesus walked into the middle of your argument, right? Like, what if Jesus walked into the middle of your, like, inappropriate response to whatever's going on, in the middle of your argument with your spouse or with your parent or with your friend? What if Jesus interrupted you while you were freaking out about that one circumstance or worrying about another? What, what if he just poked his head in the door and you were faced with the reality of his presence, how would you respond? Paul says you'd probably respond reasonably, right? You probably would respond appropriately. And so in the battle against worry and anxiety, Paul says a Christian has a freedom to be joyful, to be reasonable, and lastly, to be prayerful. To be prayerful. Look at verse 6 with me. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. It says, Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Now think about that verse. Like many of us like know this verse, right? It's probably on your refrigerator at some point. It's one of those like go-to memory verses. I'm just wondering if there's anybody here this actually does that. Not be anxious about anything. But the command is right there. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, what does Paul, what does Paul mean by, by anything? Theologians have studied this. And they've concluded that when Paul says anything, he actually means anything. <laughs> He actually means anything. Like, because even as, and, and the reason that he says that, the reason he makes that point is because, look, even as those of us who are followers of Jesus, like, we can still find almost anything to be anxious about, right? Like, our phones are going off. Notifications are popping up. And we start stressing out, like, when we're with our family, when it's around the holiday seasons, which is coming up right around the corner. Our finances, 
We'll take any one of these like life categories. We'll imagine the worst possible scenario, and then we'll just freak out about it. And sometimes we justify ourselves by our anxieties. It's just like, man, this is out of my control, but if I just worry about it more, if I'm just anxious about it more, then like I'll feel better about it, right? It's like if we, if we feel better if we can feel the stress that it causes, right? That's uh, absurd. It's like we'd rather wallow around in our worries than actually give them up to God. How unreasonable is that? That's what we call sort of like a control issue, right? We'll we'll give God most of our worries, but we'll hang on to a little bit of it over here, right? Hey, God, look, we'll give you you, uh, all these worries over here. I'll give you these anxieties, but just let me hang on to this one. I want to try and get this one under my control. But you know how ridiculous that sounds. It's like telling your surgeon, like, hey, just... Don't, don't take out the whole tumor, just leave a little bit in there for me, right? But a little bit's going to spread, right? A little bit's still going to take over, and a little anxiety will spread too. Now again, Paul's not saying that there's no place for le- having legitimate concerns. There's no, he's not saying that there's no place for having legitimate godly concerns. Like, like if, you're, if, you're, if your child, if your spouse is someone that you care about, your best friend is like living, uh, living in a way that, that um, is just destructive or you're living apart from, from a, a life that's uh, transformed by the joy we have in Jesus, then you can have genuine concern for them. You can have genuine worry. You can have genuine concern, but, but that's not the kind of concern that Paul is telling us not to have. What Paul is talking about is a godless concern, this sort of like gnawing worry that just tears us apart from the inside, that corrodes at us, a concern that acts as if Jesus is not Lord. That's what Paul's getting at. You see here in verse 6, Paul is showing us that there are really two different realities that you can experience as a Christian. You can have anxiety or peace, worry or rest, stressing out, just going ballistic, or contentment. And the way that you move from one to the other, Paul says, is actually through prayer. He actually shows us how to move from worry to happy, from anxiety to joy. And he says the way that you do that is through prayer. Theologian Don Carson has this great little line that summarizes Paul's thought here. He says, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. Now, how does that work? How does this work? What is it about prayer that makes it an effective cure to anxiety? Now, it kind of becomes a little obvious when you actually compare the two, when you compare anxiety and prayer. You see, anxiety on the one hand is when you have this narrow view of life, this narrow view of life to where all the, every, your entire existence, the way that you define my, life's purpose and meaning is defined by the problems that are right in front of me in the present. That's called a narrow view of life. You could call that unreasonable, right? Like that's what anxiety is. It's having this narrow view of life. But when you, when you pray, 
If you have a heart and a posture of hopefulness and prayer, then you actually have a huge and expansive view of life in which God is sovereign over the past, over the present, and over the future. And you can rest in the fact that that there's a God who cares for you. There's a God who knows you, who actually transcends this physical existence that we find ourselves in. That's a huge and expansive view of life as opposed to the narrow one that anxiety gives us. With anxiety, then my present problems are what's most significant. That's what what we're saying when we're dealing with the anxiety bucket over here. We're saying my present problems, my present circumstances, that is what's most significant in the world right now. But in prayer... With a posture of prayer, then we recognize that Jesus is so magnificent, that he is so beautiful, and that everything else shrinks into insignificance. With anxiety, we look inwardly to solve our problems, but in prayer, we look to God in order to endure through our problems. With anxiety, anxiety expresses our fears, but prayer Prayer actually expresses and works out our faith. And so in order to triumph over, above and over anxiety, we pray. Paul says we pray. We pray about everything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And so Paul says to pray for everything, and that means all things, that means all circumstances, nothing is too trivial, nothing is too small, nothing is unimportant to him. And he also says to pray with supplication. To pray with supplication, you're, you're, and the other translations might say like petition, because that's what supplication means. Like a, it's to hum, give a humble petition or a humble request, right? Like in, in middle class, like Western Christianity, we struggle with this because we're all about self-sufficiency, right? That doesn't mean we don't work hard, right? It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we don't, we don't try and, 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 and take care of ourselves and take care of the people that God has placed around us. But there's a humble petition that we confess that at the end of the day, like we are needy beggars at the table of the Lord. We tend not to confess our need and independence. But Paul says, look, we need to do that when we pray with supplication with humble petition. He says, pray with thanksgiving. He says, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Have a thankful heart, he says. And let that thankfulness, that posture of thankfulness, let that actually fuel your prayer. See, this is so important. See, any doubt or bitterness that we have is removed when we express thanks to God. Any doubt that we have, any skepticism, any, any, uh, any bitterness that we have for the situation that we're in is removed when we express thanks to God for the good that he has done for us and for the good that he's doing in us and for us. You see, it is also a posture of thanksgiving towards what God is going to do. So where we have the freedom to pray, like, God, however you choose to act in response to this request, 
I'm going to trust is good because you are good. And I'm going to be grateful for it. You are the true and supreme source of all truth, of all goodness, of all beauty. And so I'm going to, I'm going to trust in that. I'm going to look to you. Now, what happens when we pray in this way? When we actually pray in that way, where we pray in all circumstances with humble petition, with thanksgiving, then look at verse 7. Here's what happens. He says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And notice he says the peace of God. The peace of God. Did you know this is the only place where that phrase, the peace of God, actually appears in the entire New Testament? You see, Paul's not talking about having peace with God. We see that in all kinds of places. You're going to have peace with God, right? Like Paul's not talking about peace with God because like this is something they already have. He's talking to them about the peace of God, and there's a huge difference there. He's talking about the peace that actually belongs to God, the peace that he gets in being God and being sovereign and in control. Like, we don't have a God who's like freaking out, worrying what's going to happen next, right? How's this going to work out? There's a peace that he has in being God. We don't have peace because we don't know what's going to happen in every life situation, but, but, but the Lord like, can you just picture him on his throne just saying, what's going to happen? I don't know how this is going to work out. But no, he sits on his throne in perfect peace. And so that peace that he has, Paul says, you, you can share in. You can participate in. You don't have to worry because he's God. You don't have to worry because he's great. You don't have to worry because he's in charge. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding. Our minds can't even grasp it. He says it surpasses all understanding. Our minds can't imagine it. Our eyes can't envision it. This peace is so gnarly. It's just like beyond you. You ever sit on, like, if, if you've ever gone surfing or with your family at the beach and you're, like, out waiting in the water and then you just look over at the horizon and you're like, man, this thing never ends, right? This thing's so massive. Look at how big the ocean is. And then, or, 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 you're, or you're swimming out in there and you're thinking, like, man, I have no idea what's underneath me, right? Have you ever found yourself thinking that? Like, Paul's saying, like, that kind of idea, which is where it surpasses your understanding, like, that's the way that the peace of God is. You see, Paul's antidote isn't some cheap, like, psychological trick to kind of get you past a few problems in life. He's saying, no, this is a peace that comes from the very nature of God. This is a peace that's shaped by who he is. It's shaped by God. It's given by God. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, what does this kind of peace do for us? It's, he says, it will guard your minds, your hearts, and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that, that word for guards in the original language is this intense term. It's actually a military term, which would have been especially vivid imagery for Paul, who wrote this letter while he sat in chains in a government prison, in a Roman prison. 
Roman prisons would have had like a whole company, whole battalions of armed soldiers that would just stand guard, making sure that no one got in, that no one left who wasn't supposed to. And so Paul says the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds just like that, like a well-armed fortress, like an armed guard marching around you. That's what the peace of God is like. Now, what does God guard in this way? That kind of fortress, that kind of strength, that kind of refuge? Not our bodies. It's not our stuff that he guards. It's not our jobs, our bank accounts, our reputation or relationships. But he says our hearts and our minds. Our hearts and our minds. You see, when the Bible speaks about our hearts and minds, it's actually not speaking of our physical hearts and minds, but he's actually talking about like the very center of all spiritual life. Your values, your desires, your thoughts. It's the deepest place of your being. That's what God protects. That doesn't mean that he doesn't protect the other stuff, but that's where he protects you most. That is the deepest place that Jesus meets us. He says he guards our minds in Christ Jesus. You see, all that he, all, all he does, he does all of this. Look at the end of verse 7. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. And that, that's, look, that's where we'll close this morning. You see, we, we started this morning talking about how Jesus is the one that we re- rejoice in. We rejoice in the Lord always. We started this morning talking about how Jesus is the one that we rejoice in. And so now we close by acknowledging that Jesus is the one who provides the peace of God which guards us every day of our life. You see, anxiety is self-mindedness where we focus on ourselves. But peace, the peace of God is Christ-mindedness. Now, how do you cultivate that? Look at verse 8. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. Think about these things. So look, if you want to cultivate the peace of Jesus in your life, then have your mind dwell on these things. Have your mind dwell on these. Like if you ever want to know like what God wants us thinking, then run through this list. If you ever find yourself asking, like, God, like, how do you want me to think about this situation? He says, look, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about those things. And when you run through that list, you'll be confronted with the grace of God in your life. You'll be confronted with the person of Jesus, What is more true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise than who Jesus is? In his life, death, burial, resurrection, and who he is and who he is for you. You see, no matter how big you think your circumstances are, no matter how overwhelming you think your problems are, in reality, they don't compare with the Lord Jesus. They don't compare with the cross. 
compared to all eternity and the forgiveness that you have in Christ, like your problems are nothing. They're pennies. One day, one day, he says, you will see that. You'll see that your perception of reality and your worry and anxiety, that your perception those days were all wrong. And that what's real and true and pure and praiseworthy, that that is what's worth dwelling on. That's good news for us this morning. That is good news for us. That because of Jesus, we have peaceful and prayerful hearts that are marked by a joyful reflection on what is good and what is enduring. So look, this morning, do you have worries? Do you have fears? Do you have anxieties? And if you do, then find your joy in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Run to Him. Give it all to Him. Trust Him. Dwell on Him. And pray with great thanks, with thanksgiving for how He is growing you and bringing you closer to glory. And when you do that, you'll be sturdy as a rock because you're standing on Jesus and his foundation. He's the rock of ages. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about King's Cross Church or make a donation, please visit kx.church. Here at King's Cross, we believe that worship means more than just listening to a sermon, and we encourage listeners be part of a local church gathering. For Sunday morning meeting time and location for King's Cross Church, please visit kx.church. Thanks again for listening.